Welcome to the building, church. It is so good to have you here. You know, it's interesting. Uh, so for those joining us online, we're grateful that you're with us. If for those that may be guests here, maybe the second, third time, and you're still just trying to figure us out, figure us out I, I will tell you this, that we are finishing our conversation called The Good Old Story. And, and I'm going to give you the shortest, longest review you've ever heard in your life in just a couple minutes. Um, but before I do that, I do want to just jump into this. Uh, when it comes to why we say, welcome to the building church. It's because the building has never prayed for a single person. I've never had someone come here and say, hey, can I like lay on a chair and be blessed? Like it doesn't work that way. Like we are the church. And yesterday, the church, not a building, not an address, but the church blessed the city of Collinsville and partnered with 10 other ministries as well as businesses in town to put on the fall festival. And it was absolutely fantastic. So a couple of my boys, and by the way, this does fit with the sermon. I'm not going random now, I, I promise you. So if I, was going, if I wasn't going random, it'd feel like I would say this. Today we're going to be talking about Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi, we can find God arguing with people in eight different categories. For instance, Malachi 1-2, people doubted God's love for him, for uh, doubted God's love for them. Malachi 2, 13 through 14. They don't understand how God views their offerings. Malachi 2, 17. They forgot the way that God loves justice. Malachi 3, 8. People neglected with their tithes and offerings. Malachi 3, 13 through 14. People claiming to serve God is actually a useless being. Like if I was going to jump right in into this Bible so that you know that I haven't forgot what I'm talking about, that's how I would open. But I'm on purpose opening a different way, and that's this. Last night, yesterday morning, uh, two of my boys, my two younger boys, they really wanted to go to be a part of the setup and everything. And Silas, my youngest boy, at 3 o'clock in the morning came in and woke up mom, which got her up for an hour and a half. And the reason he came in at 3 o'clock in the morning, he was convinced that I wasn't going to wake him up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> so he just didn't sleep. FYI, he's a bit crabby today. Just kind of in case you run into him, if you make him mad, he'll, he'll shiv you. So, like, uh, he was so excited going, at 5.30, I was wondering, should I wake him up? Because he hasn't got much sleep. And down the stairs, he comes fully dressed. He was so ready to be with me yesterday. So the, Gideon and Silas came up here a little bit before 6. We got stuff loaded. The rest of the team and many of you uh, showed up around 7 o'clock, and we started doing setup. And Silas and Gideon worked the entire day, and then it was time for teardown. And I said, why don't you go ahead and go home with mom? Go ahead and get... They refused. They stayed with me. They stayed with me all the way to the very end of the day. We're driving home. They're absolutely worn out. And I said something to them yesterday that I want to say to every person here. I said, what if the only church people ever see were you today? What if the only Jesus they ever interacted with is the one that you were in a bright orange shirt with a whistle telling kids to get out of bounce houses? (laughs) Like, I know that sounds crazy, but the amount of people that told us how friendly we were, how polite we were. How, how we wanted to actually just love on and make sure they had a good time. And so, church, when I say welcome to the building, this isn't a comment we make. This is a lifestyle that we live. And so, church, welcome to the building. Amen. It is so good to have you today. 
So here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about the book of Malachi. And the great thing is today, if you believe in this whole God thing or not, I can promise you this, there's something you're going to be able to take away because we're going to talk about our relationship with God. But the amazing thing happens, we can actually parallel, if I could say it this way, Pastor Aaron, who's just standing up here, a natural relationship that I have with someone else can absolutely parallel a spiritual relationship that I have with my God. And so for those of you that are spiritual, that, that understand this God thing, that actually believe in it, you're going to be able to hear this one way. And if you're here today and maybe you don't lean towards that, number one, we hope you do. It's why we're here and the conversation we're having. But here's the great thing. There's also just practical takeaways I think all of us can do in our natural relationships. But in order to talk about Malachi, here's what I, there's one thought I want to give you is I give you the shortest, longest review you've ever heard in your life. Ready for this? If you open up your Bible and start on page one, you read actually like a couple, ch uh, like, chapter and a half, two chapters, three chapters, th third chapter, Genesis 3, here we are at the flood. From the first three pages of your Bible covers 1,650 years. That's the distance until the flood happens. And everyone, you've probably heard of the flood before. If you haven't, there's a guy named Noah, you know, when everybody else was liquidating his assets, he was floating his. That's as good as it gets, folks. Tip your waiter, try the veal. Okay, so after the flood, God decides he wants to work with a person to create a family so that rather than being polytheistic, or another way to say that is believing in many gods, God is sending him in heaven going, listen, I want you to believe in the one true God. So he eventually found a guy named Abraham. And again, roughly 350 years after the flood, you get a guy named Abraham. By the way, you're still in the book of Genesis at this point, still early in the book of Genesis. Then Abraham has a kid who has another son who has another son, and eventually they get like 12 kids, and those 12 kids get a nation, and that nation becomes known as Israel, and so the children of Israel end up getting into captivity in Egypt. And how many have ever heard about Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat? Like literally, we've made great plays and movies of all the highlights of the Bible. So now you have Joseph. That was 510 years later from Abraham to where the children of Egypt was in captivity, and then a guy named Moses, you may know him as Charleston Heston, comes and says, let my people go 510 years. So you have 1600, over 1,600 years to the flood. You have over 300 years to Abraham. You now have over 500 years to where the children of Israel come out. And by the way, you're just now into the second book of the Bible. Genesis covers a whole lot of ground in that little bit of time. But then you have the children of Israel. They come out. They wander around in the wilderness. They're supposed to be going into a promised land. Eventually, a guy named Joshua, which, by the way, Joshua now is your sixth book of the Bible, but the first five are still talking about everything I covered. Joshua takes them in, and the children of Israel eventually say, listen, we don't want just some God. We want a king who's over us. And so now you are talking about when Saul becomes the first king, it's 380 years after the children of Israel are in the promised land. So, so all of a sudden, we've covered thousands of years. So now, 670 years later, the rest of your Old Testament, from kings to chronicles to the major prophets, the minor prophets, and if you go, what's the difference between the true two? This is true. If it's a big book, it's a major prophet. If they have a tiny book, it's a minor prophet. And that's not a joke. 
Like, that's how simple we make the Bible for you to be able to read. You have major prophets, minor prophets, and the whole time the children of Israel, they're doing good, they're doing bad, they're doing good, they're doing bad, but eventually we get to this guy named Malachi, 670 years later. So here's the first thought that I was thinking as I was kind of laying this out. I hope you're not in a hurry because God's not. How many have ever prayed and said, God, I need you now, and he forgot about your prayer? Or he didn't show up. But then somehow, a little bit of time goes by, and it works out. The good, good father actually shows up. I always forget he lives in eternity where there is no clocks. Where I'm sitting here watching every second of the day. And so first of all, you should just know this. You may be in a hurry, but God's not. And the great thing is, he does have a plan that works out. I believe Pastor Aaron said this already. He, for the good of those who love him. And so when it comes to Malachi, we have something that's interesting. Malachi comes to the people of Israel, and he, he says to them, listen, you don't think, God doesn't feel like you appreciate him. The gifts and offerings that you give him, they're kind of secondhand. Um, you don't understand what offerings are about. You don't think God is a God of just, justice. You actually think serving God is useless. And so Malachi is giving all these warnings, but something interesting happens then. There's, if, you, if you actually have a paper Bible, I don't know if you guys know what these are. You, you don't have to read your Bible on your phone. It's weird. Like, usually paper Bibles, you can turn. But every Bible that I've ever studied out of, there's always one blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or another way to say it, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And that blank page covers 400 years where God isn't talking. There's no written history that God said something of note to a prophet, a king, a people, a person, to be able to write it down. And I started thinking about this. And by the way, this is a question. I don't have an answer for you. It's just a question today. The people got to the point that they so despised God, they thought serving him was useless, bringing him useless gifts, and actually almost detesting him, that God said, hey, if you don't want a relationship with me, I just won't talk to you. Is that still possible today? Hey, you're answering it, not me. I, I'm no theologian, kind of. But because I know the argument would be, well, we have Jesus Christ now. Right? We have the Holy, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. But what if we had a healthy fear of, if I abuse this relationship, this relationship could go away. If I don't love this relationship, it doesn't become an abusive relationship. If all I ever do is go to God for what I want, what is about the time of just having a friendship with him? So I know for me, over the last couple of weeks, as I've kind of been outlining this and thinking about this, what is the thought of, do we do enough in our spiritual relationship to keep open lines of communications so that God wouldn't say, what's the point of talking to you? So that's just kind of a thought for you today. So when it comes to our, our relationship with God, there's only two main things that I want to talk about out of Malachi. And the first point is, it comes right out of Malachi number, uh, chapter number one, where basically God is saying to the people, you have no appreciation for me. So, of course, the question has to come to you. Do you appreciate your God, which I know I, my NAV family enough. If I were to say, do you appreciate your God, most people would say, yes. 
Yes, I know. I know that. I know you do, and you think you do, and I think I do, but do we? Do we appreciate our God, or is our God the thing we use to get what we want? Is God as close as a friend, or is he more like a pen pal when you remember to get around to write them? Uh, young people, a pen pal. I know, sorry. Yeah, this is true. Yesterday we were, we were out and we had some, uh, uh, some, part, some people come from uh, CHS, uh, Council High School, to get some volunteer hours. And uh, I said the phrase, um, I had to do a good old-fashioned thing of opening a phone book. And I looked at him and I said, girls, a phone book is, and the one spoke up and she goes, I know what it is. I've seen it in a movie before. So I took my cane and I walked away. <laughs> I, I felt very old at that moment right there. Let's talk about appreciation for a minute. Hedonic adaption is a psychological term that is true to human nature. And again, I'm going to say it again. Hedonic adaption. What it is... Humanity, we are meant to find a baseline of how to live life. Or, another way to say it is, we are very adaptable to the life around us. But what many of us don't know is, we have a baseline in life that we call happiness. And sometimes the happiness peaks, and sometimes the happiness has valleys, but at some point, we actually have to find our baseline, and this is just kind of where we live. And the problem is, if we don't on purpose have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the thing is, we may say we don't appreciate him, and it's because he's not doing anything for our happiness anymore. And so I, I, let me unpack this a little bit more. You know that this is true. All of a sudden in your life, you get a brand new car. You're thrilled about your brand new car. You're telling everybody about your brand new car. You're Snapchatting, Instagram, Facebooking about your brand new car. I have a question. Has anyone owned a car a year later and still highlight your brand new car? But one. Let's just say that's inside the margin of none. Like, okay, like inside the margin of none, right? Because you had this moment, extreme happiness happened in your life, but the problem is you learn how to adapt in life. So instead of living at that extreme moment, you come back and this is now normal to you. Right? I remember, so, so far, God has absolutely blessed me and my family. Every house that I've lived in since I've been married has been a brand new house. And I've always been thrilled about the brand new house. But here's what's interesting. I'm thrilled about my brand new house because I couldn't wait to get rid of my old house. My old house that was brand new when I got it. Right? Because all of a sudden I get a brand new house and everything's fresh. And kids, keep your feet off the furniture. Don't throw balls in the house. We're not coloring on the walls, Mariah. Like, just for example, like, you hold these very strict standards. But what happens to even your brand new house? It what? You adapt to it. You become normal. So I don't feel like you have this yet. Hey, married people. We're good on that one. I can move past it. You're with me? It's the honeymoon phase. She, he snores when they sleep. Have you smelled morning breath? Let's be honest. And the movies where people wake up and they just start kissing in the morning? Not after a couple months. You know why? Halitosis is horrible. I don't want to smell it. I can take the time for you to do a little brush, a little floss, a little bit of mouthwash, and then we can come back to it. But what happens is your relationship kind of, I said something wrong, I think. My wife's not over with the napkins. No, I'm free today. I'm free. Yeah. 
No, not me. My marriage is perfect. It's you guys. You're the one jacked up. Yeah. I'm just trying to help you. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It's the same thing true about when you have kids. I remember every time coming home with a brand new baby. And man, it was so exciting. It was so happy. And then they became teenagers. And it dipped. And I'm hoping around 18, 19 it comes back up. But here's the thing. We... We have learned how to adapt in our relationship. So my guess is when you first learned that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, you were on a spiritual honeymoon. Yes. Tell me if I'm wrong here. So you couldn't wait to get to church. You read all the time. Probably, probably even did something crazy. Read your Bible. Every friend thought that you just joined a brand new mark, mark, multi-level marketing company because you talked to them about the latest, greatest product you have known as Christ in the cross. And then it becomes normal. And the problem is, after a certain amount of time, if we allow everything in our life to normalize, we adapt to, yeah, we're a Christian. There's no highs. There's no lows. It's just who you are. And if we keep looking back to God and we say we have no appreciation for you, it's basically saying you haven't done anything for me lately. You haven't given me a goosebump. You haven't given me a word. There hasn't been a prophet that came by and read my mail. There hasn't been a check that came in the mail to give me. Like, it just becomes absolutely normal because we adapt. It's a psychological trait that every human has. So here's a question for us. How do we raise our level of happiness? How do we raise our level of relationship? And because it, you know the phrase, money doesn't buy happiness. Yeah, that's stupid. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it out loud. I, poor people say that, okay? I think money does buy happiness. You know why? Because some of the funnest things I've ever done in my life cost the most. So here's the thing. Happiness and joy are different. I don't think money can buy joy, but money can absolutely buy me happiness. You, don't, you want me to prove this to you? Give me a million bucks and see if you don't see me smiling for a long time. But here's the thing. If I'm going to get to my notes, just tap the brakes. If I'm offending you, this is working well. Because right? here's the thing. If you win the lottery, you hit this jackpot and you grow, but eventually you hit a new normal. If you want to raise the level of your understanding and of the value of money and everything, it's better to grow it over a long period of time, and it increases everything. When it comes to my relationship with my wife, and yes, I'm going to talk about this for a little bit, and I please don't think I have a perfect marriage. It's anything before, uh, but that, and if anybody tells you they have a perfect marriage, don't go to them for counseling. They're just liars, okay? Like, there's, I don't even know what the definition of a perfect marriage is. I do think I have a good marriage. I think I have a healthy marriage, and one of the things that I found over time is if I get mad at my wife because... It, can we just talk real talk? So I'm a guy, and every once in a while, I look at my wife, and I'm like, I want you. Okay? Like, I don't know how to say this. I know it's all getting awkward. I'm sweating a little bit trying to say it. But here's the thing. If I say I would like to be intimate with you, intimacy is into me you see. And if for the last month I've ignored her, how can I be into her or her into me? The way that I raise my relationship with my wife isn't waiting for the high moments of a sexual interaction, 
a birthday, an anniversary, a big thing, you know what happens? I can actually raise the level of what I consider my adaption level of happiness, joy, whatever term you want to put there. And every single day, I do something small like this. I hold her hand. I say good morning. And this is true. Last night, after a very long day up at the fall festival, I came home and my wife decided to do the dishes. There was no way I was doing dishes last night. But you know what I was able to do is to say thank you. Well, that's her job to do it. First of all, first of all, in your marriage, I'm just, this is a complete side note. The moment you say, well, that's your job, <laughs> you should be starting a fight. Like that, that is a great way to pull the pin on that grenade. So like, but here's the thing, even if it normally is what she does, even if it is normally what I do, the moment we say thank you is because what we're actually saying is, I appreciate you. Being able to say appreciative words to people that have been serving around you, helping, married to, whatever it might be, you know what happens? It raises that level. So that's why I want to take a second right here and just tell you, I have a ton of appreciation right now. And it is because yesterday, as a church, as in people, we did a fantastic outreach called the Fall Festival. And by the way, if you're here today, and we're about to clap in one second, if you're a guest here with us today and you met us yesterday, we are so happy that you stopped by to find out about us today and learn more. It's just couldn't be more thrilled. But I want to make sure, here's the thing, I, I feel like I've just been living with so much gratitude lately. And so I want to make sure to highlight Cami, Tammy, uh, Kendra, uh, Matt, Matt, uh, Carrie, uh, uh, Michael, Kendra, or Kendra, I think I already covered her, um, uh, Carrie, Leah, I think I got all of them. This was a team that four months ago started coming together. And by the way, they're either sitting in here or watching because they reached out to me today. Can we just put our hands together and say thank you for those who led? <laughs> Yesterday... I have no idea what the total count and the amount of partners that were out there in orange shirts, but I promise you there were more orange shirts than any other color shirt combined out there. And for every one of you that was available and willing and able to come out and serve yesterday, I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely grateful for it. I had one, um, uh, it was Holy Cross, right up the road. And by the way, they're another church in town, and I don't mind telling you other churches' name because we're not in competition with them. We all work for the same boss. And so Holy Cross did a little trunk or treat. They had to leave about 45 minutes because they were out of candy. And they told me, we instructed all of our people to give it one piece at a time, and we gave away 9,000 pieces of candy yesterday. I, per, can I just be honest with you? I don't think we had 9,000 kids there yesterday. But as a pastor, I'll say that number because we exaggerate everything. So no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I will tell you this. We were hoping to at least have 3,000. And I think we easily excel, exceeded that. And whatever thermostat God decided to adjust, it was the most perfect day possible. We had uh, two different food pantries that were there. We had a total of nine churches or ministries that was present. We had other just wonderful entities that, that were there as far as civic organizations that were part of it. Guys, I just, 
if we get done with yesterday and say, well, we did that successfully, what's next? You know what happens? As a ministry, we just kind of say, hey, we're just going to adapt to a norm. Versus saying, no, Jesus, there were thousands of people that had the opportunity to learn about you yesterday. There were other ministries, and just so you're aware of, that you flipped the bill for. We didn't charge them to have a spot out there. We didn't try to make money back on them. We tried to make money back on water, and that was a colossal failure. I will be honest with you. I bought two cases of water, and I'm pretty sure we have a case and a half back here. So next week when we do communion instead of grape juice, everyone gets a bottle of water. So you need to pray over it, and if you're really holy, it'll turn to wine for you. But if not, you just enjoy some DeSanti. I'm just kidding. We didn't pay that much. So like, like it was just absolutely amazing what our church was, a platform that our church was able to provide. And if we just go here today and we just say, hey, I want to tell you about Malachi, and I'm going to invite you to know Jesus and get past it. Here's the problem. We're adapting back to a normal versus raising our level of what our relationship with God should be about. So how do you not fall into a category of not appreciating God? I will tell you now, treat it like you would a marriage. Treat it like you would a relationship. When's the last time you woke up any morning and said this, good morning, God? No, that doesn't matter. Long term, I wonder if it helps raise it. Because I'm now waking up with you. Now, if you go into your closet and say, God, what should I wear? He's your father, not your mother. Figure it out yourself. Like, let's not, don't, don't go weird Christian on me. Like, just, I do, yes, I do that to Cammie. Why would you say that out loud? I've never, just so you know, when she picked out this outfit, I wanted to start the sermon today by going, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day. No, I never pick out my own clothes because I'm pretty sure, like, it would just be ugly every time. So, like, but here's saying God's not your mother, he's your father, but here's, why wouldn't you just have that conversation with him? After an amazing day like yesterday, how could you not just say, God, thank you? Thank you for the partners that came together. Thank you for your church, your church. What if the only church they ever see were you yesterday? Because you're saying, I will give you a hint, it was either the greatest church experience of their life or is the worst. Were you loving Tomorrow when you go to work and people know that you go to church on the weekend and you're frustrated, angry, cussing them out, belittling them, congratulations, they just had the worst church experience of their life. Which, by the way, in Malachi, when it says that God doesn't do anything for us, there's a chance it's because you're not doing anything for them. But I would say step number one, to, to get to a point where you're not losing a relationship with God, where he just doesn't talk to you anymore, the first thing you should do is find appreciation for him. And it doesn't happen in the highs of life, and it doesn't happen because you're in the low of a life. It happens because every day he's just part of your life. And you have that conversation with him. And then the second thing that I want to talk about is, and again, this is in Malachi 1 at the very beginning, is giving God our leftovers. So God's talking to the people, and they say, listen, the animal sacrifices, let me, give, me, give me two minutes just to make sure you kind of understand the context. 
Thousands of years ago, in order to have a relationship with God, one of the things you did is during festival seasons, you would bring an animal to the priest to sacrifice. And I know this sounds barbaric. This is 2,000 years ago. Don't hang it over our necks now. Like, but you would take an animal sacrifice, and the blood, it would represent covering the sins of your life. And if you go, well, I don't think I'm a sinner. You are, and I don't mind telling you that because we all are. And if you say, well, I don't know what you mean by sin. Have you ever done something in your life, and no one had to tell you but in Internally, you immediately felt wrong. You didn't feel right. You felt dark. You felt separated from the relationship. Just so you can label that anything you want. As Christians and followers of Christ, that's just sin. Sin, see, sin is an archery term. And an archery term, when you sin, it means to miss the mark. Now, evil is to miss the target altogether. Those are two, they're archery terms in the Bible. So here's another way to say it. Has there ever been a time in your life where you know you just missed the mark? Congratulations, that's sin. And so in the Old Testament, you, what you do is you'd bring this animal to the priest. They would sacrifice it. But the animal that you, had to be, that you brought had to be a good animal. It had to be without defects. It couldn't have broken bones. It couldn't have spots and blemishes. Because what it was, it was saying, God, I'm giving you my best because my best needs to be here to cover my sins till such day, and just here's fast forward, till a man named Jesus Christ comes to cover our sins once and for all with one final sacrifice. So what the people were doing, they were bringing these animal sacrifices that were broken, had broken bones, had blemishes. Or here's another way to say it. It was the people's leftovers. Instead of taking the best that they had, they lived on the best and then said, what's left over? And God even said this to them. Would you take this to your local governor? in order to give this to him. Or another way to say it is, would you take this to your boss? Would you take this to your local authority figure over? And he's going, of course you wouldn't. Why would you bring it to me? So I would say this, one of the things to make sure, and again, I'm just pulling this straight out of the Bible, to make sure our life stays at a place where we can have these conversations with God, that he's not turning his back on, that it's a friendship, that it's a relationship. We need to intentionally bring God our best, not our leftovers. And you remember I said, we can parallel this with natural relationships. How is your personal relationships doing when you go to work and give your boss the best all day long? You then come home and you get on your Xbox, PlayStation video games, and you give people across the world on headphones your best when it comes to killing the enemy and picking up your points. Then your kids come home and you're too tired for them. Your wife wants to talk, but you're too exhausted from the day. And so what happens is relationships break apart, not because we give them our best and our first. It's because they get our leftovers. And then we always look, and this is the craziest thing. Whenever someone's going through a divorce or a hard time or a relationship break or a problem at work, we always focus on the moment that's happening, right? We ask them like, well, what did she say? What did he say? What did they do? What did he do? And we try to fix this moment. The problem is, wasn't the moment. The, the problem is the year, two years, three up, leading up to it of all the moments missed. To say something like this, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you showing up. That, by the way, just great looking plaid outfit in a fall season. Clearly, your wife didn't dress you because you would not have worn that. So, yeah. You remember when you made a joke earlier, but I still have the microphone? Um, no. Like, 
I feel like that should be pointed out. That's my brother. Yeah, yeah, in case anyone didn't know, I don't just randomly pick on people. If I did, it'd be that guy there. And no, <laughs> it wasn't my father-in-law. I don't, he, he, he quit years ago. No, um, when it comes to giving our best, and, and by the way, here's the most practical way to say it. And if you're here today and you're like, of course, the church is going to talk about money, you're missing the whole point of it. I, we have been highlighting money all this year because we're in a year of radical generosity, which means not only have we given away 10% of what has been brought in, but we felt like God was told us to give an another 10% away. And by the way, yesterday, any ministry that wasn't able to afford their candy, we told them we'd pay for it. There was another ministry that didn't have a tent, so we gave him one. And I actually believe, I, I was praying about it last night, and the emotion, I just, I can't prove it to you, but I just know, I think what happened yesterday was a sheer result of our year of radical generosity, because we loved on levels that we've never been able to love before. So if you're here right now and it's like, oh, he's just trying to get money out of my pocket. No, I'm not. I don't. God is blessing us. But I do want to tell you this. Do you give God your first and your best, or do you wait till the end of the month to see what's rest, what's left over? Because if so, you're bringing him a broken animal. You're saying to God, of everything I have in my life, here's what I can scrape together to give to you. How would that work if you went to your boss this next week and worked with that attitude? How would that look like if that's the relationship you have with your children? What would that look like in your marriage, in your friendship, if I will just give to you what's left over versus the best of me? Because after all, shouldn't we give the things we love the most the best? And so today, I don't want any of us to lose an ongoing relationship with God. I fear, and by the way, I think it's a healthy fear. I fear the thought of God saying, I have nothing more to say to you because you haven't listened to anything I've said before. So here's what I'm going to do on a daily basis. I'm going to try to just this adaption thing that people do. I'm just going to continue to try to raise my level. Good morning, God. I love you. God. I'm moving into a situation. God, how would you handle this? By the way, that's a prayer that all of us could use on a regular basis. Okay, there's your way of doing it. There's my way of doing it. There's his way of doing it. God, how, if you were here right now, Jesus, how would you handle it? But then the other thing is, what if we just choose? What if we said next year, how about we just give God our best for one year? What would your life look like? What would your relationships look like? I'd even go this far. What would your finances look like? What would your health look like? If we just say, God, I'm going to move into a season and give you my best. And by the way, for those of you that are here today and you're not whole, you're like, God, when, he's, when is he done talking about this God thing? Let me just say this. What happens if for a season of your life you gave your relationships your best? Your kids your best? Well, I don't know why they don't listen to me. Because you don't talk to them except to yell at them. But what if you just said, son, how's your day going? Daughter, you're a princess. Right? What if we just intentionally gave God our best? Because after all, and I hope you hear this, if, if you don't hear anything I say today, I hope you hear this loud and clear. He gave us his best. And what do I mean by that? 
Well, I've been telling you about these animals, these lambs, these goats, these ox, these doves that we used to take, give it to a priest. They would cut it. This blood sacrifice would come out. But God was saying this, listen, I've never had a desire for animals to be the way we communicate. I want a friendship with you. And so 2,000 years ago, and you may know this story. Please allow me just a minute to reiterate it. 2,000 years ago at Christmas time, Jesus stepped out of heaven onto earth. And by the way, this will just be fun to mess up some of you. There's almost no way he was born December 25th. Like he was most likely in the springtime, but enjoy messing up your holidays. And the three wise men, they weren't there yet. Like take them off your mantle. I'm just trying to help you ahead of time. So, but on Christmas, we celebrate Jesus stepping out of heaven. If you want to know why we celebrated on December 25th, is because uh, hundreds of years ago, some of our forefathers realized that we as a church were forgetting about the virgin birth. So they set aside a holiday so we don't forget. Because if not, Jesus was born like everybody else, but he wasn't. Jesus was born unto a virgin. And then he began to grow. And we see him at the age of 30 start his ministry. Three years later, Jesus freely gave of his life to die on a cross. And you can say the Pharisees did it, the Romans did it, the disciples didn't fight for it. I'm going to be very clear with you. Jesus was a sacrifice, a perfect lamb, if I could say it this way, that allowed himself to be put on the cross, to uh, his blood to flow out, to cover all the sins, not just of that time period, but of all times, for all the cosmos to be redeemed. Because God's greatest desire from the beginning of the time was to walk with us and talk with us and have a friendship with us so that we could rule and reign with him. Here's a crazy thing. I know, I know some of you are not going to believe this, but it's absolutely true. Historically speaking, over 500 eyewitnesses attest to it, and there's not a single historical document that contradicts this. Three days later, with no medical help, with a big stone rolled in front of his tomb, three days later, Jesus got up, which proved this. He wasn't a man trying to start a cult and a following. He was God incarnate that said, I did what I told you I would do. If you took your only begotten son and sacrificed him for humanity, how can that not be considered giving us his best? How should we not respond the exact same way? So, dear Heavenly Father, I just, God, I have so enjoyed talking about the good old stories. From Adam and Eve all the way here to Malachi. God, I know we've missed some. But I pray that we've highlighted the correct ones during this time, time and conversations together. Now, as I finish, help us today, God. Raise our adopt, adaptive levels to a greater realm to where our relationship with you grows. Because God, I'm going to declare it today, but I will say it tomorrow. I appreciate you. I value you. God, thank you for what you've done in our lives. And actually, God, I'm even going to take it a step further. Help me make a conscious decision to give you my best, not my leftovers. 
And right now, if you have your eyes closed, I'm going to invite you to keep them closed for a second longer. I just took time to explain to you who Jesus Christ is. I want to invite you into a relationship with him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as believing this, that when I mentioned sin earlier, you, you know what I'm talking about. But right now, if you were to close your eyes and never open them back up, you don't know what eternity looks like. I can tell you now, by saying yes to Jesus, your eternal life is, is, is solidified. Because he paid the price for your sin for you to spend eternity with him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're ready to make that commitment with all eyes closed, most of the heads are even bowed. If you're here today, could I just ask you to raise your hand in the air to say, yes, I'm ready to make that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And his hands are going up in this room. For those of you in our online campus, the same question is going to be going out to you. Now, you're welcome to raise your hand, but I invite you, there's going to be a tab that pops up in front of you or a comment, go into the chat, hit the like comment, click that tab, whatever it might be. But we want to make sure to also recognize your decision today as decisions have been made here at our campus in Collinsville. But for everybody online, in person, could I ask you to just say this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, today is the day I choose to appreciate you. To have a relationship with you and to believe that you are my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Become Lord of my life. And let today be the start of my lifelong journey following you. God, I thank you for every hand that went up, every button that was clicked, every decision that was made. If that was the first time saying it or their last time having to say it, I believe that you're becoming a personal God to every person in this room. Lord, I'm going to just say it one more time. Thank you. We love you. We value you. We appreciate you. May our appreciation grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together and celebrate with those that have made a decision for Christ today.